Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Dorian, and you are listening to Highway to Scale. It's a podcast in which we explore the ins and outs of business success, and where we cover topics like validating business ideas, exploring different management styles, building products, launching them on the market, raising capital, and scaling your business. If this is your first time listening to Highway to Scale, here's a big fat welcome to our little community. And while we're getting to know each other, I want to ask you to click on the subscribe button and add us to your podcast playlist so you get notified when we publish new interviews. On the other hand, if you've been following us since the previous season, you know we appreciate your support, so it's amazing to have you back with us as we explore new companies and their business strategies. In today's episode, I'm joined by Ola, who is the founder and CEO of Soundtrack Your Brand, the world's fastest growing music platform for B2B. It's a platform that helps thousands of businesses strengthen relationships with customers through music. By combining expert curation and world-class tech, Soundtrack Your Brand provides a beautiful all-in-one solution for streaming music to stores, hotels, restaurants, and other commercial settings. As for Ola, he's a serial entrepreneur active in the music tech space. Before Soundtrack, he co-founded Spotify Business together with Spotify, which was a standalone effort to expand Spotify's reach into B2B streaming. And before that, he was the co-founder and COO of Beats Music, which was later acquired by Apple and transformed into Apple Music. In this podcast, Ola will tell us more about the current state and the overall potential of the B2B music streaming industry, why is it important to plan for failure when you're going all in on your business, and why you need to deeply understand the specifics of different phases connected to the process of building a startup. So let's cut the intro and let's jump right into the episode to see what Ola can teach us about building a business. Hola, thank you for joining me on Highway to Scale. It's, it's such a pleasure to have you on the other side with Mike. Thank you, Dorian. I'm happy to be here. It's Friday and I'm, I'm in a great mood. <laughs> I love to hear that. Uh, let's start with the, with the easy questions. Uh, your career is, you know, long and storied. And I would do a disservice if I would try to put it all in the, into one short sentence. Can you... Tell me more about some of the most important milestones and moments of your career as a business owner. Yeah, no, I've been I've been trying to um, survive with my own companies for a while. Um, so this is actually my fourth music startup, uh, and before that, I I was involved in multiple companies and in other industries before. But <clears throat> I think a short. Swedish story is that I decided to try to make a living in music tech for almost 14 years ago, 13, mm. 14 years ago. And uh, I've been continuing to work on the same thesis uh, through through all four of those companies. And that thesis is based on, A, obviously being able to work in the music industry is is something that I dreamt about working with a passion and mm-hmm. uh, that's what m- kind of made me make the move uh, into the music industry. Uh, but it wasn't all about the romantics of it. It was also about uh, this market uh, that was digitizing right in front of us, right? Uh, it was changing everything from consumption, distribution to production at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it provided... It provided a huge opportunity, uh, and I, I've been trying to pursue that opportunity since then. Mainly, obviously, in the streaming space, mainly in the space of music discovery and in uh, curation and helping to solve for, for the problem of finding the right music for for you or for your business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, soundtrack your uh, soundtrack your brand is, I mean, your latest endeavor. Uh, what is it that makes it a dominant force on the market? Well, Soundtrack Your Brand is, I would say, the world's first music streaming platform for businesses. And music for business is probably something uh, you don't walk around thinking about every day <laughs> because it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's uh, pretty much in the background, as it's called, background music. And and uh, But the funny thing is that it's this huge market where... 
just think about it. Every cafe, every restaurant, um, every retailer, every hotel that you walk in, wherever you are in the world, there's music playing, right? And there's consumers interacting with that music. It's sometimes I joke about it saying it's the, it's the part of the music market that God forgot about. Uh, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I've decided to take that on and, um, and turn it into something powerful. Powerful in terms of A, the promotional opportunity for the music industry of actually, you know, delivering great music to great experiences and helping people find music also when interacting. For example, we have some new stats mm-hmm. from the US from last month we did together with Nielsen and Music, uh, where in the US standalone, there's 9.2 billion store visits every year. Um, so obviously consumers are walking in and out of stores multiple times every day. Yeah. Uh, and 79% of consumers actually register the music that they're hearing in store, which obviously is, is, is not in line with the definition background music. It's actually Mm -hmm. in the foreground. And uh, the the last stat on that, which is interesting for the, is that 73% of those 79 that register actually take immediate action if they hear something that they like. So you hear a great track in your local bar, you're like, what's this? And yeah, you shazam yeah, it or you or you search it or you ask the bartender. So there's a reason why Apple bought Shazam, right? So once again, there's, there's this w- very boring market that no one really would think of. But when you scratch the surface, there's something amazing uh, mm-hmm. underneath. Mm-hmm. So I'm helping the music industry uh, with unlocking, opening up an incremental, you know, promotional uh, platform for them, as well as opening up an incremental revenue platform, uh, background music, business subscriptions, if you may, in the yeah, streaming market. Yeah. So it, it, it seems to me that like the main competitor of yours is like piracy. Uh, and and that mindset of businesses, I mean, I'm just going to stream it off YouTube and who's going to catch me? Correct. Um, and that's what it was for Daniel at Spotify as well back in the days, right? It was better than piracy. Um, that was uh, the slogan of Spotify uh, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. And and that resonates with me as well. I mean, we, we're building a truck, not a car. We're building, mm-hmm. you know, a business grade service. So there's massive amounts of of uh, needs uh, that businesses have that a consumer server doesn't cater to. Not only is it illegal and unethical to actually um, pirate music in your business, uh, but you know I'm not the person to. I mean, that's the music industry that needs to regulate that. That's my yeah, job is true. to build the best product. Uh, but, but also for, for the business owner, I need to think about, I mean, they have huge friction points They're They build their wonderful restaurants or bars or stores or hotels. And, and they, they work day and night with the brand experience. And then all of a sudden you have staff playing Rammstein, right? Nothing wrong about <laughs> Rammstein, but, uh, that's not what you want to be playing in your cafe in order to drive the best kind of sales. So, yeah. yeah. So there's a huge pain point and a job to be done in terms of helping, uh, you know, customer interfacing entrepreneurs solve for anxiety of music, time that needs to be put into like curating music and then money where just like more efficiently buying it and at the same time not getting sued. Yeah, because the entire process of, of licensing music used to be extremely complex and if you're not in the business, you basically don't know who to talk to, who to ask for, for licensing. Platforms like yours completely simplify that entire process. Yep, exactly. And, and uh, right now it's platform uh, in, in singular, not plural, but I hope mm-hmm. there'll be more moving forward so we kind of really build a bigger market here. Um, it's completely new. The B2B aspect of music streaming is 10 years behind consumer. So we just launched actually last year the Soundtrack Unlimited product, which is the world's first on-demand product for B2B, meaning that you can create your own playlist and do everything you like, but but in a business-grade mm-hmm. software environment. 
So when when it comes to uh, you know B two B versus B two C, do you do you follow B two C you know step by step, uh, or are the, the the aspects of that type of uh, of that type of industry completely different? It's completely different. I mean, first of all, the the commodity is the same music, right? For starters. Yeah. Uh, but then not when it comes to audio in terms of podcasts and so forth. That's not the same. So music first, that's the first. Then once again, my analogy of building the truck versus building the car, right? So mm-hmm. let's say Tesla, if Spotify is the Tesla of, of music streaming, <clears throat> then obviously if Tesla were to decide to build a truck, meaning selling to businesses and, and kind of for using it as a kind of business component, then obviously they need to build a platform for that. They need to understand how to sell B2B, which is completely different. They need the licensing to do it. Uh, the, the, the driver needs the driver's license to do it. Um, it's completely different. The use case is completely mm-hmm. different. So, uh, But most of all, for music, I explain it through, you, you can't have a distributed service in B2B because you have no control. And, yep, and business yep. is all about control. So you have to have a centralized experience, meaning that you as kind of the music manager at Joan the Juice, you need to know that you can control what music is being played in New York, Chicago, Prague, Stockholm, Munich today, uh, and that it's on brand and it's that the right music for the right time and the right place. And you're delivering on your brand experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when it comes to soundtrack your brand, uh, let's say I'm a, I'm a business owner. I want to use your service. Uh, how does it all work? Uh, so we uh, apply what is what is referred to in in B two B SaaS as product led growth, which is nothing less than focusing on getting people to try the product with as low friction as possible. Hmm. There's a lot of other things in the product-led growth framework that I, I really kind of encourage people to dig into because it's more or less our religion. Uh, but what you do as a business owner, you you probably sit somewhere in the world, you're opening your first restaurant and you go to Google and you search music for business or music yep, yep. for Italian restaurants. And that's where it all starts. Then you find a soundtrack you sign up like you would sign up for Spotify or Apple Music. You get a free trial. You set up your first restaurant, and hopefully you're a successful entrepreneur already. So you have three restaurants, and you set up all three, mm-hmm. and you get one invoice, and you set up the soundscape, the scheduling of the music in the different restaurants, uh, and you create uh, like the business setup that you want to have in place. And then you start playing music, and you pay us $50 per subscription per month for everything. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I subscribe for your service, I basically don't have to worry about some, let's say, agencies in Croatia that are dealing with music licenses. I don't have to worry about unfortun- Unfortunately, in Europe, you have to because there's, mm-hmm. there's um, in the US and Canada, so I'll keep this very simple because it's it's a long story. But If you are in Croatia opening up your restaurant uh, in Split, then you need to uh, first get the right music service in place. Then you need to pay for the performance to local societies, meaning the right to actually perform the music. Mm -hmm. And I'm not even going to go into explaining that. Just just like realize the fact that that's 100 years of of kind of music licensing. Yeah, Um, Yeah. And in certain countries those agencies are more or less functional i would mm-hmm. say and fair play um they're very good at collecting but they're not so good at redistributing if you say that much. yeah so that i'm is trying true. to fix that, is that. True. so so in the u.s we've been able to actually force them to license through us which means that you get both the performance and the mechanicals the right to play the music uh, and you also get the benefit of actually paying the songwriter and the artist that you're playing on a usage basis rather than paying a society in the European market that has no idea what you're playing that mm-hmm. then need to figure out how to redistribute those rights. And God knows how they're making those calls. <laughs> um, 
So I would just think that it would be much more healthy for the music industry to actually deploy the digital value chain even for B2B, meaning that you pay songwriters and artists when their music is played and you pay them a premium if the music is used to sell more coffee or satsiki or whatever you sell. (laughs) Yeah, that is completely true because... Now it's extremely complicated to to sort all of that all of those things out. Services like yours are basically one click action, and I'm done. Yes, in the U.S. and Canada for now, and those markets, by the way, are big enough for us to, you know, work with until I retire. But <laughs> we're going for global markets, so we want to fix this for all markets. We want to make it easy because business owners are willing to pay. They're, they're happy. Yeah, yeah. They understand that a business service costs more. I mean, everything costs more when you're using it for B2B, uh, but true, they true. don't want to be paying for something that they don't even know what they're paying for. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so you mentioned uh, Spotify a couple of times. And the interesting part about Soundtrack is that you actually started as a joint venture with uh, Spotify uh, called Spotify Business, but then you decided to pivot away from it and go independent. Can you tell me more about that decision? Yes. The, the reason for joining forces with my fellow Swedes was that they have the world's best music service for consumers. Hence, they have the world's best music backend service, mm. which is a huge build, like managing 60, 70 million audio files in real time worldwide with the right metadata and the right licensing um information in place in order to redistribute and so forth uh, so um i walked over the street and asked daniel martin if uh, i'm going to build a music service for the b2b uh, market and i'd like to do it together with you guys and so we did uh, because then i could spend time building the customer interfacing software first Mm-hmm. So then mm-hmm. when we realized and we tested it in the Nordic markets, meaning Norway, Finland, and Sweden, and we realized that, yeah, this actually rocks. It's, you know, it's solid. <laughs> it's solid. This like businesses want to stream music. That's for sure. And uh, so then we took the next step of moving away from home, meaning uh, going fully independent. And that took almost five years because we needed to do 16,200 licensing deals. Uh, with labels and publishers, and we need to build out our own product infrastructure uh, all the way. And that's time and a lot of time and a lot of money that needs to be invested. Mm-hmm. So 2018, we launched Soundtrack as an independent brand product and um, uh, launching the world's first B2B licensed streaming service. Yeah, and now you're the fastest growing. But when we when we talk about fastest growing, can we talk about numbers uh, yeah. In terms of users, how many users do you have? Uh, how fast are you growing? Well, obviously, uh, we launched 2018 uh, and we spent 2018 and 2019 rolling out 75 markets. So we grew from nothing to, to around, you know, 10, 12 million dollars in ARR quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we were planning on 2020 to be the real growth year, like it's going to be, and we're going to roll out the Soundtrack Unlimited product that year. So that was kind of now uh, we're really going to, you know, go out and, and grow fast. Previously, it was super fast, right? Getting to, you know, $10 million in ARR in two years is pretty yeah. unique. But obviously, uh, there was something uh, called the pandemic that, that came upon true, us. Uh, true. And that, that, that hit all of our customers worldwide so basically our market shut down 2020 um, which was another experience dealing with a pandemic Uh, so 2020 and 21 were uh, 2020 was crazy we lost 35 percent of our revenue like in a couple of weeks like it just stopped exclusively because of the pandemic yes i mean it all the world shut down hotels restaurants cafes bars retail are our customers we all know what happened to them during the period. So, yeah. But we uh, wrestled our way back. Uh, we actually grew a couple of percent, 2020 even. But like on a monthly basis, it was like a hammock. It was like you know complete uh, race to the bottom and then back again like a yo-yo. So mm. 
then we got to 2021 <clears throat> and it was still shit. Uh, first quarter was terrible, but we were kind of fighting our second quarter to start picking up a little bit. But then third quarter and fourth quarter it was totally okay and we grew 40%. So we're at $18 million in ARR now. Um, but we have two we have two lost years for sure. We could have yeah, been yeah. somewhere completely else. But hey, we, we turned them into something productive. Um, it's not just us, everyone, everyone was affected. So you gotta, you gotta deal with it and power through. And that's, yeah, basically you, you survived, you survived and you thrive now. Yeah. Uh, when it, when it comes to the potential of, uh, B2B music, uh, music streaming, uh, do you see, do you see a ceiling? Is there a ceiling? Yeah, of course there's a ceiling, but I, I, I haven't even seen the start uh, of the climb <laughs> towards the ceiling. So Okay. So the the global market for B2B uh is not in the billions of customers like the consumer markets it's in the hundreds of millions. So yeah. in total we estimate together with Nielsen MRC data that there's 128 million addressable business locations. Mm-hmm. 96% percent of them play music today. So obviously we're not inventing a behavior Uh, so they're playing music with something. <laughs> uh, so that's that's around you know 120 roughly million uh, venues playing music. Uh, and then if you look at that, then around 80% are using consumer services illicitly, which means you know it's the equivalent of opening a cinema on a Netflix account. So true, and that true. doesn't fly if you're IP driven. And like, look at the sports markets. I don't know how it is in Croatia or anything, but if you if you move to throughout the European markets, like you you you're showing the Premier League or the Champions League mm. in a in a in a bar, you're not getting away with using your private account. Like they're that collecting that money and they're collecting it richly. <laughs> so so it's the same thing. Like like IP driven markets tend to harmonize, right? There's a B 2 B subscription. People got to pay it if they want music in their venue. So that will transfer. The bet in soundtrack is that that 120 million, uh, 80% of that, so roughly 100 million businesses that are using uh, consumer services illicitly will transfer into a functioning product and a legal, uh, ethical, compliant, sustainable usage of music. Uh, so the roof... Uh, being 40 to 50 billion dollars on an annual uh, annual basis in market value uh, that is to be compared to currently streaming market being around 70 billion or, um, mm-hmm. and then expected to grow to 140 at the end of the decade so double meaning that we would be if fully penetrated which it never yeah, will be yeah. but like we're, we're still adding 20 30% on top That's incremental, uh, which is great for the industry, which is great for everyone. So it's a no-brainer. Uh, it's not hard to explain that we should have a functioning business subscription environment in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's that's also one of the reasons why you were, you know, why you managed to attract so much uh, outside capital. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you raised around 50 million or so in the in the last couple of years. Yes, uh, we have. Uh, I honestly don't know the exact number, uh, but it, it's more than 60 because uh, mm-hmm. we have some debt as well that we used. Uh, and uh, we raised that based on this thesis uh, that we will get to a point where we have a product in place and a market in place um, with the licensing in place. And that's where we are right now. One of the one of the things I always like to ask my guests is uh, about the process. Uh, does it get any easier from from round to round? No, it gets harder. I would say. <laughs> uh, hey, so, so jokes aside, trying to answer it in in a way that actually helps. So, without using any kind of like startup um, statistics, which everyone can look up, but for me personally. If you have a really good thesis and uh, a team with a track record in that targeting that thesis, um, you can not, it's never easy, but you have a good chance of raising 
money on that thesis because it's see mm-hmm. the, it's thesis connection to team track record and a good enough business idea would take you through like a seed to an a round right um yeah yep. you don't really have to prove anything except the thesis and show up with the right team it's not easy by no means but if if you've done it a couple of times before you can you can work yourself through it right Mm-hmm, Even mm-hmm. better if you have a proof of concept and you've sold, you know, sold one or two accounts, which is wasn't the case with us because getting to even selling is, you know, twenty thirty million dollar investment in terms of getting to a product because oh, it's well, a sophisticated okay. product. So, so it was a little bit different with us at Soundtrack, but I, I've done it before, so I knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but answering it then, okay, okay. So say that you get to product, you get out there. Then we had this extra complexity of having an industrial founder with Spotify and that created mm-hmm. huge challenges like us moving away from home and, and, and so forth. So, uh, but like getting to post revenue, uh, launching product, that's great because everyone, in my case, everyone understands that the team is good and that the market is there. And then it was a question of product market fit. Was it, really a good product and it wasn't in our case until we actually were able to sound, launch soundtrack unlimited which was the, mm-hmm. the product that we knew we needed to get to and was extremely sophisticated build and extremely sophisticated licensing because we needed all the music in the world in order to provide otherwise it's a broken product yeah so yeah. once yeah. again i was you know tarnished by the 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 front loaded investment required to get to product market fit mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. when you have product market fit uh which you prove by actually being able to scale growth and you there's a pandemic <laughs> that screws up everything <laughs> on your gro- like scalable growth and then then uh, you get need to get to the second or the third stage which is go to market fit me proving that you have a scalable go to market motion and that's where I'm at right now. I'm I'm about to raise kind of a, a growth round based on, yeah, we have product market fit. We have, we're scaling, we're growing. Um, the team is still good. The market uh, thesis is still strong. Um, now the, you got to prove like the ec- economics of your growth model. Like, can you invest 100 million and get 300 million back? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, is the COVID pandemic, you know, the the biggest challenge you had to face with with soundtrack? Um, yeah, I would say, absolutely, it was, um, because it was, you know, a torpedo right in the side of of everything. Mm. Um, but I've had multiple challenges. One of the one of the biggest challenges with this company was that it was never really clean because it was a startup with Spotify. So one mm-hmm. would think that's a great thing in the beginning, and it was because it improved our velocity to market and testing. But then when we were we were going to go by ourselves, we had to like kind of deconnect ourselves and reconfigure and build. And then, yeah, it was just so much work. And uh, music streaming is very complex. That's why there are not that yeah. many players, yeah. and the players are named Apple. Amazon, Google, and then this True. weird com- this weird company from Stockholm that pulled it off somehow, um, mm-hmm. so, meaning Spotify. So there's, you know, if if it was easy, a lot of people would have done it before. I think it's the same thing for soundtrack. I mean, if it was easy, a lot of companies would have done it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I completely agree. Uh, now you mentioned the importance of having a a great team uh, when it comes to when it comes to you as a CEO. Uh, how do you how do you pick those winning parts? How do you pin, pick those winning team members? Uh, I think it's a little bit different through the faces of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you need, um, I mean, it's always this challenge of being an entrepreneur and then kind of prof- like bringing in more and more senior people around you, right? Because uh, in the beginning, it's really about product, right? And Yep, maneuvering yep. product if my job is to fund the, the product build initially and fund the, the thesis what the product can do so so that's the first stage so you need a, a rock solid 
um, product and technology leadership in place. And then comes the kind of revenue stage. Uh, um, and that's when you need like a really, really good CFO and a functioning mm-hmm. like data analytics team in place. And for me in the music industry, uh, in parallel to the first build stage, you need uh, licensing. You need like a super strong legal licensing team. And that doesn't go for all other industries because that comes later. But that needs to be yep, done yep. in order to see to that you can source your your, your content correctly and actually be able to to craft 16,000 deals, right? Uh, so you need to start with kind of building blocks and getting those functions in place and the people that can lead those functions and up until you kind of really get the the you know the A players there you can you can use just team managers and stuff like that mm-hmm. on things so so that's at least how I do it and then I add this depending on the stage of the company you add that key player so I just hired a CMO for example because uh, US is our core market uh, and we are now at scale stage meaning mm-hmm. that I need like a super senior chief, chief marketing officer and, and I just hired her in uh, in LA so she joined the other week and so it's more like the sequencing of your key players comes with the sequencing of the company stages so when we when we look at uh, your company now uh, who do you hire the most what what type of specialists so i mean we are we're, we're a small company in comparison to i mean the the fun thing about soundtrack is that i've done it a couple of times before but like we're 75 employees in total and we're running a global streaming service mm-hmm. um, in 75 markets so one employee per market basically and we have just the same complexity and catalog as spotify or apple uh, it's just like it can be done so much more efficiently if you've done it a couple of times. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, when we look at recruitment, we're always looking to recruit the best engineering because engineering is the core of of everything we do. Product and I and by the way, product engineering I see it as the same thing. Let's just say product development, and and uh, that's always uh, the most important thing. Um, then obviously now the stage is building out a really strong, small team that can go to market U.S. <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And go to market U.S. is a whole science in itself as well, specifically in the B2B segments and SMB segments. So you need people that understand <clears throat> the U.S. market, the U.S. small business entrepreneur and the music industry in the U.S. in combination. Why? Why is it? Why is it so different? Uh, a lot of my guests uh, have said the, the exact same thing. We started in Europe, and when we wanted to expand to US, it basically completely changed everything we knew about our business. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, uh, so just because you speak perfect English and you've been to the US a couple of years in your life doesn't mean you understand the US market. I think that's the first kind of statement. And some mm-hmm. European companies think that, all right, you know, I've been there, I went to school there, I live there, I know it, but you don't. Like, uh, Americans work with Americans on a different level than Europeans work mm-hmm. with Americans because they can talk about stuff that you don't know. So one tangible example is uh, go-to-market structures, what type of partners are you looking to have what type of marketing channels do you need to understand um like uh, what differences in between the different regions and states and cities are there Uh, what holidays are coming when is the buying process Mm -hmm. you know everything and it's such, I mean, it's a whole continent in itself. And and uh, you need to understand the cycles of buying. You need to understand if you should partner with Square, Shopify, or Squarespace, and why. And uh, I mean, I, I can't explain it like more than there's so many things that you need to understand be, because it's such a big market. 
and it's such mm-hmm. a complex market. You, you, we tend to treat it like one one single market, but it's not. It's fifty two markets, right? More or less, yeah, even yeah. you know, and even more complex now with the, with the polarization of U.S. in general. So that is true. That is true. So uh, one of the coolest things I, I've read about you in in one of the interviews that you did was uh, about your business mindset. Uh, you know, uh, going all in and always having a plan in case you fail. Well, uh, I think I think it's not me. Only. I mean, I think that's probably the mindset of a maturing entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the beginning, it was probably going all in <laughs> without a plan. And then, yeah. <laughs> then you realize it's too good to screw it up. So if you're going for something, so if you're going all in, you might as well do the job of working on a plan B, right? So what's what happens if uh, times, you know, t- the 10 relevant questions of something going wrong? That needs mm-hmm. to be figured out and, and planned uh, before you do it. So you, you're going to miss half of what happens if, but at least just having the consequential thinking pattern in place the whole time helps you um, not miss this opportunity that, first of all, you need the conviction before you do something, both with your head and your heart, right? Like you truly need to believe in what you're doing. You can't, this is my opinion at least. I mean, if you're building yet another payment solutions because FinTech is hot, like- uh, Yeah, yeah. Come on, man. Like, yeah, that, that's fine. But I couldn't do it. I mean, I couldn't get up in the morning. I, would, I, I wouldn't last a week. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, and, you know, like, okay, we're building yet another kind of uh, intermediary platform between credit cards, payment systems, and the local payment systems, you know, something like that. And that's fine. Mm. But I couldn't live with it. So I, I have to have something like, okay, I'm doing music for business. In, in, and I know businesses need really damn good music, and I know that it'd be great if actually artists got paid and songwriters got paid. Uh, I truly believe in that that market can contribute to the creative industries at the same time as it can contribute to the businesses using a great music service because they can sell mm-hmm. more coffee. Great. So I truly believe in it. So then I, I have, then I can go all in, which I actually did. I put all the money I had into mm-hmm. the company, and uh, but it's too good to screw up by by the operational challenges that will occur. You will have near death experiences many times in your business, whatever you're doing, even if the idea is great, and you need to uh, figure out what to do when that happens. Do you see your failures as something you want to, let's say, you know? erase or change from your past or uh, are there something that pushed you forward um no i mean i wouldn't want to erase anything i'm not driven by money or it sounds pretentious to say so like i don't care but i i'm not as a person i mean obviously because then i would have been much richer somehow because because i'm not mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and so i'm not, obviously not driven by it i put all of it in directly so um uh, i think the failures are, you know, the tangible learning experiences of becoming a better company builder. Um, and also some of them create great memories and great stories. Uh, some not so happy and some, mm-hmm. you know, things that you wish you would have done better. Uh, but still, if, if you have the mindset of learning from them, which you need to have and not hiding them, and confronting them, even the darkest demons, then it's the game you play as an entrepreneur. It's it's a game of uh, failure success where I usually say nine out of 10 days are failures, it feels like when you're kind of pushing forward. And it's mm-hmm. you, need to, you need to learn to deal with the failures uh, because they're going to be in your face every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a great advice. Failure is always going to happen. If you can understand how to deal with it, you'll be successful. If you don't, it'll bury you. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying uh, it's easy. Uh, and I'm not saying sometimes the challenges are too big that no one can, you know, can, can, can overcome them. You know, mm-hmm. The market can go sour. 
the uh, the biggest competitor can choose to go in and just take you out you know things that you yep, can't yep. and sometimes it's just too hard because like you don't read you don't read about all the companies who don't succeed and there and there's 99 for every 100 right so Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying uh, you're always going to get through. But if you ask me, then like it's it's a game that you play as an entrepreneur through your multiple companies and and using uh, like failures as a, a part of becoming better. Then then um, you need to kind of look at them, analyze them, and try to learn from them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that's uh, extremely interesting about about you, what I also read in in, in one of the interviews, uh, is a focus and simplicity when it comes to building startups. Can you tell me more about that uh, that approach? Why do you why do you have so much focus on that focus and simplicity? Uh, because people are simple, uh, and people um, have a very hard time digesting too much. And specifically, mm-hmm. people in a collective. So, uh, like Scandinavian simplicity in design is, you know, make, b- dumbing it down to something that the whole world can use. An IKEA chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and uh, and it's the same thing in in the collective of humans. We're all super sophisticated and can process a lot of information. But in a group, we a lot of complex information can easily be misinterpreted and scale and go the wrong direction so you have to feed the input to that group uh through uh, extreme simplicity so mm-hmm. uh, i really like to dumb things down to like super simple things and like simplify 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 because then and then reiterate 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 i i don't know how many times i feel like an idiot saying the same thing over <laughs> and over again to these smart people working with me but it is the nature of of trying to get a group to go in the same direction is try to find yeah, yeah. the you know the common denominator dumb it down dense it down refine it and then repeat it until people throw up <laughs> that's a that's a great analogy yeah yeah or at least i throw up hearing myself say <laughs> i don't think they do because then they would have left i think like if i go around here at the office where people are starting to come back and i walk into a room and, and i hear someone talking which i did actually today and they're talking about exactly the right thing i'm like yes you mm-hmm. know yeah, they, they get it. <laughs> or they implicitly have heard me say it so many times that like you can like it's impossible not to work on what they should be working because people tend to like to like create their own projects and find shit that's mm-hmm. interesting and like but I'm sorry like look we have a collective uh, mission and that collective mission is what requires everyone to focus on this right now. Even if there's other fun stuff going on, this is what I'm paying you to do. And I'm sorry. Yeah, this yeah, is what we yeah. do. Yeah, you've basically built a small but extremely efficient team. I like that because I also um, I also like the idea of building uh, like small teams, small and hyper-efficient teams. Um, I have no interest in building a big organization. And some people think it's really cool to have 10,000 employees and and that's fine, that's good, but I have no interest. Uh, And that's just me. Mm. That's the way I am. Uh, And uh, if you kind of like that, uh, working in special ops uh, rather than Mm. in the infantry, then then that's that's (laughs) where you should go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, what's the thing that drives you? I mean, uh, you've started a few companies, you've sold a few companies. Uh, what keeps you, you know, innovating uh, and bringing constantly something new to the market instead of just, let's say, taking a break, retiring? Um, well, I mean, uh, once again, like I'm fortunate enough to work with something that is fun. And and mm-hmm. like, it, it also sounds so cliche to say my my work is my hobby and and blah blah blah. But 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 I proactively try to get to a point where I can work with something that is actually really fun, and it's a privilege. 
but it's also hard yeah, work yeah. because usually fun work is tougher to make a living on. Uh, so I think what drives me is I have no interest in, you know, sitting and staring at the sea. Uh, not now. I love the sea and I'd love to sail through the islands <laughs> of Croatia, you know, a couple of weeks every year. Uh, but yeah, but yeah. like, look, it's, I get up in the morning, I show my kids that you go to work, uh, you, you, um, you think about what you buy for dinner and you don't get the fanciest car cause I can't afford it and I have no interest in doing it. And, and you, um, you go to soccer practice and you go to work and you got to work at night mm-hmm. and, and like, it's, it's, uh, there's no interest in the other thing. It's like, it's like a life, uh, it's like a life structure that uh, you want to get in place where there's enough challenges and enough day-to-day that you can also enjoy the moments at the sea right you can enjoy yeah, the week yeah, that yeah. you take that you take off there's uh, i don't know what would happen with me if i was you know there and didn't have to do anything more um because that's not really the end goal the end goal is today mm-hmm waking up and having a really fun, productive, probably challenging day. And then, you know, living, living a a day-to-day life at the same time. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. One of the, one of the cool things that you mentioned was, you know, about buying a a luxury car. Uh, But uh, the thing I read about you is that you highly cherish your 20 minute walks from home to your work and from work to, to home. Can you tell me more about what do you do on those walks? Yeah, first of all, I um, we have a car, but it's a crappy car, and uh, <laughs> I use it for soccer training with the kids. That's it. That's what it's used for, and uh, and uh, so I do use it sometimes. And then I I have the luxury of living in a small, nice city like Stockholm, where you can more or less walk everywhere. So and that's by design as well. Yeah, then during yeah. COVID, obviously, you have to walk around the the block and then home again. So it wasn't anywhere. But in a normal world. It's a really good uh, routine to get up in the morning, do your family stuff, whatever or whatever you're doing, and then take a 30-minute walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can truly recommend whatever you're doing. It's, uh, and, and, and you do the walk, uh, and you like pretty much use it for work. Uh, you do it to land where you, what you're going to do with the day. Because the worst thing you can do is get up in the morning, run to the computer, set up, yeah. start answering emails and do shit. And then it, it's just, it's, we all know that that's not going to be a productive day. Yeah, yeah, I completely like Figure agree. out what the goal is of the day. And then execute yeah. on that goal. Exactly, exactly. Okay, Ola, uh, we're almost done with our time. So I have just two more questions that I want to go through with you. Uh, the first one is, uh, what advice would you give to new startup owners who are just looking to push their ideas onto the market? Yeah, so <clears throat> I think, I think uh, once again, back to the kind of sequencing I spoke about and the fundraising sequencing and first getting, you know, to an A round or to a seed round and, and so forth, because you do need money, right? So, so building a, a business, a startup, um, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There is a very defined capitalization process. Mm. And you should study that first, like really understand what the different stages are, because you're going to have to relate to them through anything you do. So the stages being pre-funding, bootstrap, meaning like you're, you're paying for it yourself, then you do a seed round, which is like a, a pre-round where you're just, you know, bringing in some initial partners and some initial capital in order to, to, to get, get it going more than what you can afford yourself. And then there's the A, B, C, D round. And you can read about all of those very clearly. And there's investors for those and they look at the same thing Mm. And it's, you know, it's, it's there to study before you start. And then you can kind of look at it and think like the idea that I have, do I think I can qualify through these stages? Like uh, do the math, do the math on it? Like, okay. Uh, and if you've done that, then, then you pretty much have like a business plan that could potentially theoretically be funded. 
Yep. So yep. it's not harder than relating to the reality of the funding cycle. The alternative is obviously starting a business that, like a normal people, before, you know, the startup industry or so forth, which funds itself. And the best yeah. investor you can possibly have is customers. So it doesn't always have to be like through the VC steps. It could be like we actually have a business idea that can, can fund itself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the two options. Either you talk about like, okay, we're going to be a front-loaded um, external invested case or we're going to be a bootstrap self-funded kind of business, P&L basis. Okay, uh, one last question. What can we expect from you and Soundtrack in 2022? Um, doubling down on the US market, mm-hmm. raising a growth round to significantly invest in building the category leadership and music for business. Great. That sounds amazing. Uh, okay, Ola. Uh, once again, I want to thank you for joining me on Highway to Scale and sharing all of these great insights with me and all of our listeners. Thank you for having me. It was a very, very nice discussion on a Friday and thanks for having me. And we are done. If you stuck with us until the end, here are a few key takeaways from this episode that I want you to remember. Number one, if you want to succeed, make sure that you're building your business both with your head and with your heart. Building a startup is difficult enough on its own. So instead of building something just because it's trendy at the moment, focus on building a product that you truly believe in. Number two, going all in on your business is a good approach, but you always need to have a what if mindset and plan for different scenarios. So go all in, but with a consequential thinking pattern that will enable you to expect failure and prepare for it. And number three, when it comes to building a startup, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. There is a defined capitalization process which you need to study because understanding what investors are looking for in a company as it grows through the pre-funding, the seed funding, the A, B, C and D rounds, this will help you prepare on time and grow your business. Now, before you sign off, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't done that already, so you get notified when we publish new episodes. And leave us a review if you enjoyed this podcast and you learned something new. It'll be highly appreciated. Also, if you want to be a guest on the show, shoot me an email or hit me up on LinkedIn. My contact information is down in the description. And that's it. I'm Dorian, you've been listening to Highway to Scale, and I'll see you all in the next episode.